Hi, I'm Sissy. This is Vanessa, and welcome, welcome to, to the Rich Palette. <laughs> Hi, Sissy. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Amber. Hi. Hi, Amber. Today we have a guest. Yeah, our first guest ever. Yeah, we're bringing a new guest to our podcast today. Amber is actually visiting Hong Kong. Uh, she's an old friend of mine. We work together at the same company, and also I think Vanessa met Amber in Singapore as well a few months ago. Yeah, and can you please introduce yourself? Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. I'm Amber. Um, I'm right now based in Hong Kong, also working in tech industry. Um, actually in payments. Um, last year, um, I spent. Uh, six months uh, doing rotation in Singapore. That's how we got to meet each other. Today is a special episode in every uh, aspect because we are all all doing it at our own home, and because of the lockdown in Singapore. And of course, Amber is not physically um, with us because she is in Hong Kong. How's everything going in Hong Kong, Amber? Can you let let us know? Um, you know, with all the virus situation, because we're pretty familiar with Singapore already. Hong Kong is quite doing quite well, I would say. We haven't uh, experienced full lockdown um, like Singapore. Um, and I just had lunch with my friends in the restaurant, <laughs> so <laughs> things are good. So <laughs> cannot complain. Yeah. So you never did a lock full lockdown in Hong Kong yet. Yeah, so office still open. Socializing have been slowed down, but other than that, life in general is quite okay. But I heard in Hong Kong the gathering has been limited to four people maximum, right? Yeah, is this still the rule, or have have they changed that? Less than four is okay. Wow. Mm. How about gyms? And um, are they still open? And can you? Um, can you still go to work? For gym, uh, it will remain closed until next week. So I'm really looking forward to go back. I know. Recently in in Singapore, every gym is closed. I'm so miserable. Then every day I go out and run ten kilometers. <laughs> I can totally relate. <laughs> I think we should do an episode on Hong Kong situation in the future. <laughs> That would be a tricky one, but it, it would be, be a interesting. tricky one, but interesting. So, what are we talking about today? Why is Amber here? So today we're going to talk about payments. So everyone, because recently we saw the news, Facebook is significantly downsizing, downgrading its uh, Libra project, which is basically the e-digital currency project. And also, everyone is talking about the payments. We have so many payment solutions around us nowadays. And also, like during the coronavirus, because we can't go out and spend our like cash or credit cards. Most of the trans transactions now are done through digital platforms, and we do start to see that the payment is getting more and more important in our life. So, Amber, you are the expert in this field, and I know that you worked, lived, and stayed in multiple countries like Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore, and New York, and also San Francisco. So, how, like, what are the differences in terms of their payment system, their digital payment systems? Yeah, right. 
interestingly, if you across, look across different countries, they have very different payment system. And if we talk about US, their payment rails actually built out decade ago. It's still in what we call legacy、um, payment system, and it's kind kind of slow. But if we look at Asia countries like China, Singapore, Hong Kong, there there are a lot of innovation happening here. Step in to build the real time payment systems. So a case I can give you, like in Singapore, if you wanna transfer money to Vanessa, and you can just down through PayNow, and it will be、yeah. instant. So this is the the fast payment system is happening in quite a lot of countries, especially in Asia. It's interesting that、um, a lot of new business and use cases like peer to peer, peer to merchants, customer refunds, things like that can be built on top of those、uh, payment systems. So I think a trend which I'm seeing across the globe is、uh, take the More and more governments are joining this trend to build a instant, safe, and cheap, inclusive payment system. So you're saying that when governments step in, and when it's a government-driven pro- project, it would be more instant and more easier to execute, or yeah. So. A lot of times, when we look at payment, we notice like government is actually working in the backdrop. So,、mm-hmm. yeah, so they have to make sure they lay out the foundation to for innovation to happen. So this is like a trend we see more in Asia, where governments lean in to build out like standards. Why is that? Is it because of regulation, or what is the reason? Yeah, partly because financial inclusion. A lot of people, banking population, as we want to be inclusive, you will be more innovative thinking about solutions other than the current banking rails. So, you see the rise of QR code, for example. Oh, how about the US? I'm curious because I know that they use Venmo there. Um, how about Apple Pay or Google Pay? How's it going in the U.S.? In different use cases, you see Venmo more for peer-to-peer transfer, and then、um, there's Apple Pay, Amazon Pay, Facebook Pay, for example. So、um, there are innovation happening. If we look at the speed and the width of the Payment innovation. My perspective is not as、um, rapid as what we see in Asia.、Mm, got it. And so we hear so many different terms like peer-to-peer transfer. We have like pay-to-merchants. So can you just describe a little bit of the payment system when we talk about payment? What are we talking about? Yeah, definitely. I would like to the perspective from a consumer because that's the most easy to understand. So, think about、uh, you go to a restaurant or go to a shop. You need to pay. So, I think this is the most obvious use case that、uh, people need to pay the merchants. So, there's、uh, the tap and pay,、uh, which is contactless payment. 
And then uh, I think there's also online e-commerce, especially under the COVID-19 environments. More and more people tend to shop online and got the stuff delivered. So you have the what we call cats not present situation. This also gave rise to a lot of ecosystem players, for example, like Apple Pay, Google Pay, PayPal, uh, to enable the online e-commerce checkouts. Mm-hmm. There's also other use cases like bill splits. You go to a restaurant with a friend and after the meal, you want to pay him or her. So this is the, the peer-to-peer payment use case. There's there actually are quite a lot more. So if we look at ride hailing, a lot of like delivery, all those day-to-day use case evolve payments. Mm-hmm. So what kind of payment system? So do they belong to in the ecosystem? So for the ride hailing, then it's the cards not the present scenario, right? So so that's what the payment system that they're using. Right. So for all those online, whether it happens on the website or happen on the apps, you will see payment processor involved. So payment processors, uh, put in a very simple terms, is the company which help merchants to accept credit cards. Mm-hmm. A few names uh, you probably heard like uh, Stripe, Yen. There are actually a lot of payment processors in this space to help merchants to accept payment and also doing the risk management because you never know whether it's a fraudulent transactions, whether the card does belong to the users or things like that. So they run a very sophisticated algorithm to help merchants manage those risks. And of course, there's also reportings merchants need to do. So those payment processors actually facilitate the whole process. Mm, Got it. So just now you mentioned there's contactless payment. There is payment processor. There's peer-to-peer transfer. What about like e-wallet? Because I hear this e-wallet name like so frequently, so often. What does that actually mean? Yeah. So e-wallet, sometimes like uh, people call it store value wallet. It's interchangeable terms. So e-wallet, think about you actually need to, you have a digital wallet you need to top up with. First, you need to have money sit inside the wallet. A lot of times in China, we see Alipay and WeChat Pay as the most popular form of e-wallet. In Southeast Asia, we see GrabPay, for example. Basically, you need to have money put inside this account. And then they also enable a lot of use cases, both online and offline. Eventually, a lot of them become super app. Mm, yeah, actually, for e wallet, I uh, my understanding is it the actual barrier is a bit lower because, for example, uh, Weibo also has their own e wallet, but it's really backed by Alipay, and I think a lot of other you know food delivery e commerce apps they all have e wallet, but it might not be their own technology. Is is that is my understanding correct? Yeah. 
So I think interestingly, a decade ago, if we were talking about payment, the top of mind is banks, like because banks are the only parties that are driving payments. But then nowadays, a lot of fintech companies are acting bank-like service. So that's why we see actually like WeChat. They start off as a messaging app, uh, AliPay. Is also very late tapping to the game. They actually leverage、uh, their strengths in either e-commerce or messenger space, and right on the scale to provide the payment service to enable more use cases. Back to your question, whether it's easier to start with? Yes, it depends on the license, the financial license they get. If they are There's a separate license for store value and for the banks, so they don't have to run as sophisticated as bank S, and they don't need to meet those capital requirements. But then at the same time, they can still offer those financial solutions to their users.、Mm. So, for all those e-wallet companies, from my understanding, they have to. Work together with the processor, right? Like the processor is still the fundamental. Processor is the one who connects the merchants to the consumers. Is that correct? It really depends on what kind of payment rails they ride on. If it's the credit card, like the network rails, like Visa, Mastercard, then they need to work with the processor for the acquiring side of funds. But then, if they are, um, for example, WeChat, AliPay, and they are acting as a store value, actually don't need to work with processor. They are、mm-hmm. already on the acquiring side. And so last year, remember, we were talking about like some Singapore like fintech festival. So what was it about? I was amazed with seeing so many people over sixty k. I remember there were about participants. From over hundred countries, there are a lot of talks,、um, like and sharings. There are also areas where a lot of startups, the companies set up their booths to demo their solutions, get their idea buy-in from venture capital, actually doing the pitch to the panelists and, and trying to seek more partnerships. We also have version in Hong Kong. Every year, we see increasing number of participants in this entire festival. Hmm, that's interesting. In the Singapore, I I hear there are more and more up and coming payment solution companies. So, like, who are the key players in the industry? So, we all know in China, there's AliPay, there's Tencent, and、uh, Southeast Asia, are there any other key players like? What about Stripe? What about Square? It's interesting you bring up Stripe and Square compared to AliPay or WeChat Pay. Well, I guess because we all work in tech industry, so they are actually more working、uh, at the backdrop. So they're less well known. Square and Stripe they serve more towards the consumer ends. As I mentioned earlier, they are payment processors. They're payment service providers. So what that means is actually helping merchants to accept cards. Stripe. If you compare Square to PayPal, for example, PayPal have been there for much longer time. 
actually thrive like recent years. Square are playing quite catch up. Especially, I think I read the news about Stripe just raised Series G funding this week. Yeah, yeah. they've been doing quite well. They are successful for different reasons. With Stripe, they started out as a developer-centric platform, so they make it very easy to integrate, get started. They help the SMB merchants to they removed a lot of frictions. In the onboarding process. So, apart from fraud, what are the other common risks or the challenges in the payment ecosystem? There are also KYC, know your customers. So that's something that with your digital account, how the the service provides the verify you you are who you claim you are. So. So how? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I can quote an example. Recently, I signed up for a virtual bank in Hong Kong. Virtual bank is also a new type of digital bank. So in Hong Kong, last year we granted eight licenses. The very first one, which is Zhongan Bank, started last month. Back then, when you need to open a bank account, you went to the bank. And you need to fill up all the paper form, and probably wait for a couple of weeks for them to mail you the plastic card. And you have to afterwards use then can set set up the online virtual bank. The open account process just take less than I think one minute. <laughs> So it's super fast. So you just take out your Hong Kong ID, and then you just scan it, take a selfie. Basically, through the facial recognition, it matches with your ID photo, and then it goes through. So this is how the whole account opening process looks like for virtual bank. That's still more complicated in China. I feel like in this part, China is just really the Frontrunner, like as in you have to take the photo of yourself and things like that. I guess there's always a trade-off, like secure. Like for me personally, if the process is too easy, I would actually doubt it. I would like, is this really safe? Am I trusting this? Are they sure、Maybe. what they're doing? So、Maybe. yeah, I feel banking is still it protect. I want the safetyness. I want the people to ask questions and protect my money. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm just more more old fashioned for this. Yeah. So Amber. So、um, moving on, what do you think the future will be like with payment? In your opinion, the industry is very exciting, and I'm actually very bullish about、mm. the future of、uh, digital payments. It's driving by several forces. First is regulatory, as we talked about the payment system in different countries. The what we see is the regulators, the government are encouraging more countless payments, and they also lay out the foundation to to build the real time payments, create sandbox fintech in this space to introduce their previously dominated by the big banks. Mm. Yeah. So that's the regulatory, and then want to touch on is industry. So in China, what we all experience is second part: the big tech 
i.e. Alipay and WeChat Pay, they are really the driving forces behind all the payment innovations. They come up with the QR and they go above and beyond to educate users, roll out massively with offline merchants to drive the adoption. Throughout this process, they also tackled the unbanking populations. Because a lot of people in China previously, they don't necessarily have a credit card opened for whatever reasons, but those people can easily own, uh, can open uh, Alipay or WeChat Pay accounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The third aspect is really the consumer behavior. The search in the mobile payments is really the adoption of smartphone back then. And that's why we see huge increase of the mobile payment and digital payment. Uh, another reason is because of online shopping. You have to make a lot of transactions. You actually online and it's it's a behavioral change from shopping in brick and mortar store to online e-commerce with the pandemic you see there's more with fear of the real cash weather for for hygiene reasons acceleration of this uh, shift in shopping behavior and also in the contactless payments the consumer behavior is also a big driving force for digital pay. Who do you think will be the biggest winners? There are so many competitors. So will, for example, Stripe, will Google, will, I don't know, will Facebook be the biggest winner? Will there be one monopoly? Or do you think it will become, I don't know, like multiple players in different roles? The market is just huge. And there are so many to solve. So it's unlikely to be done by one companies or even the companies are big tech and have a lot of resources, it will remain as a collective efforts by various players in this industry. Of course, we will see role played out by big tech because they have the scale and they also have the resources. For example, Google Pay users on the Android system and a lot of them have, they have the Android ecosystem. They already have cards linked to those Google accounts and are ready to pay users. They can actually leverage this scale to build products, help users in payment space. But we also see a lot of consumer pain points as in Nowadays, people, example I would like to quote is travel. Think about like you don't want to exchange the local currency every time go travel. So it, it so this kind of solution is as actually being tackled upon by companies like Revolut, TransferWise. They are all European companies, startups by Issuing virtual card, what they enable users uh, when they go to another country to easily withdraw the local currency at the lowest foreign exchange rate. Mm. Would there still be rooms for small players, you, you think? Yeah, so there are always room for small players, especially when, first of all, there are still so many 
untackled issues in the payments, and there are still a lot of small areas to be looked upon. And with the big tech, they either haven't come to this area or they have other priorities to work on. Whereas as a startup, they can always start out by tackling specialized in this area. Hmm. And so I've always had this question: What is the most critical thing for a fintech company to succeed? Is it their technology, or is it their resources, or is it? I don't know, like licenses, regulations, or it's simply to find out what is the right pain point, and it has to be scalable. So, what exactly is the most critical thing here? If I quote back the the virtual bank example in Hong Kong, partner with a telco company, they already have a banking license, but they also to get the VB license. So in this way, you see, like for example, Standard Chartered, they can target slightly different demographics, and they can also write on the network,、uh, the distribution networks of that. Yeah, it's a good question. If I look back of some of the successful startups in the past years in payment space, I would say talent. If you look at a lot of fintech startups founders, they are they could be ex bankers or they could be from big tech. So they do have the insights and experience in this front, but at the same time, they see issues untackled, and they want they do want to drill down and to come up with innovative solutions to help the consumers or business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another one I want to highlight is the partnerships. The startup eventually, when begin to grow, and there's always probably areas they can't do alone. They need to join efforts with another company to trying to tackle more issue. One trend I see a lot is partnership in the payment space. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, for payment to partner with all the other tech companies and e-commerce sites, and、um, virtual banks, and you know all these partners from the time they get the license and to do all the prep work and to enter the market, it's probably take another two or three years. It's not entirely impossible. It is happening, and even with the、uh, monopoly of WeChat Pay and Alipay. It's still like a growing market. So many opportunities and headrooms、uh, to grow. Those foreign players would like to take a bite of it. I have another question about the China specifically.、Yeah. So, is it possible for any of these big techs or any of these foreign players to enter China, or is it still very highly restricted, regulated? Yeah. So. It's interesting. I read the news about seeking license to enter into China, like future proving. I have another question, Amber. What do you think、yeah. about Hong Kong as a market compared to Singapore in terms of payment, but also tech company? Just as a market, what are the similarities and what are some of the differences? It's interesting that people constantly comparing those. Two markets, 
they both claim to be the financial hub of Asia. Mm. Mm. Their population size is similar. Yeah. Uh, so there are actually a lot of similarities. And if I like look at payment space, Singapore has the SGQR and Hong Kong has our own standard QR. Singapore actually have the real-time payment, which is PayNow. Hong Kong also have FPS, which is fast payment system. In terms of virtual bank, Hong Kong gets slightly ahead. Singapore Grab and another yeah. Razor. I think they're announcing in June. I think they're issuing a few virtual bank licenses and there are maybe 15 applicants and they're giving to six of them. Yeah. You see a lot of policy making for payments and also those innovations are quite similar uh, or had 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 in those two markets. Yeah. So what are some of the big differences that you have witnessed? I would say Hong Kong is still close to China. Hong Kong will always be the first stop when it comes to overseas expansion for those big tech. For example, Alipay, yeah, it's a good test market to see how things work and how to iterate before they roll out to more market. But Singapore is also very attractive because it helped unlock other Southeast Asian markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I look at payment, it's various so much from market to market. Yeah. Yeah, so that's why I think with all those nuances in various regions for the international expansion to be successful, the tech company really need to hire local talents and to get to know consumer more yeah. to foot well in that market. So with what you said, right, um, do you think unlocking Singapore is a way to unlock Southeast Asia, though? Is that a trend that you're seeing? For example, PayNow or PayLa um, or Grab. Actually, Grab obviously has a natural advantage. But um, for payment, do you think Singapore can um, expand to the other parts of Southeast Asia easily? Yeah, definitely. I think it's a gateway to other Southeast Asia countries. With all the Singapore geographically sitting in easily access to other SEA markets and also with the talents from those countries who understand their local market can quickly build different prototypes to try out in those markets. I do see Singapore having advantage to when companies looking to expand their solution in SEA. Hmm, that's interesting. Anything else that you think we should cover, Amber? <laughs> Any interesting stories that you know? Any gossips? <laughs> what is the biggest gossip in the payment industry at this moment? <laughs> gossip? Hmm. I wish, like, payment industry is that fun. <laughs> yeah, it's actually one of the videos posted on YouTube right now under the pandemic. The Singapore government is actually encouraging more digital payments. The context is an uncle went to a bakery shop upon checkout and he handed over cash 
And the shop owner was like, "No, no, no, pay now." And the uncle was like, "Yeah, I'm paying now." <laughs> and <laughs> so, the same joke for pay law. Yeah, <laughs> that's definitely for Singapore. Yeah, it's lame. But then they went back and forth, and、uh, eventually the shop owner educated the uncle about why pay now, how does it work. So I think it's a it's an interesting way to friendly nudge citizens to use more digital payment. I guess it's really when you speak of that, it reminded me of how Singapore government is sending updates because the regulation or the rules for COVID nineteen has been keep changing. Like it's it's even difficult for me to keep tracking what's the new rule today. And so, for example, last week, every day there's a new rule coming out. Like you can't, for example, enter public transportation without mask on. And now, like literally every day, there's a new update. I was wondering how do the older people keep updated on all these rules? It must be really difficult for them. So last year in Singapore, I feel like even the elderly are very tech savvy. Yeah, I think there it's it's definitely one of the most advanced country in the world for sure, Singapore. But it's just I feel digitalization is a long, long way to go, especially when its behavior change, and it's yeah, it's, it requires a lot of education to the market. But I do agree that this is the trend. It's beneficial to、um, the industry, to the consumer, to the government. Totally agree with you on your bullish view on this industry. Yeah, and a metaphor we always like to use in payments is it's like a flying wheel. You have consumer, you have business, and you have banks, FI, and government in the flying wheel. They are driving the changes in this wheel. I feel even it's it's also they're hiring a lot.、So. Stripe is hiring so many people in Singapore, and some other companies are setting up new offices. Maybe I'll join your team, Amber. Do you have any vacancies for me? <laughs> uh, definitely, I'll keep you posted. You come to us. We need talents like you. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Amber, for today. I think we all learned a lot. Well, take care in Hong Kong. Yeah, you too. Hope the lockdown will be over soon. Hope so too. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amber. Thank you. Yep. Bye. See you. See you.